Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. If you missed uh, John Canzano calling into the show, he joined us in hour one as he is en route back from Houston. He'll be back on the air, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow, 3 to 6 uh, p.m. right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn filling in on this uh, post-championship Tuesday. Talk a little Duckies football with Zachary Neal, Duckswire USA Today. Uh, Zach, uh, how much easier can Duck fans breathe right now, uh, given that UW came up short last night? I think a lot of Duck fans probably got some better sleep than they were anticipating because that was definitely the result that they wanted. Um, I know that they were feeling pretty confident in that first quarter that it could actually be a quite a big celebration with it looking like Washington was going to get blown out. But um, a win for Michigan was a win for Oregon fans last night. So, uh, I know a lot of people had a lot of fun. How'd it compare to what you expected going into the game? Um, you know, I I think we saw what I expected from Michigan. I didn't think that Michigan's defensive line was going to get such a push on Washington's Joe Moore award-winning offensive line and kind of get after uh, get after Michael Penix so much, kind of force them to be much more inaccurate than we've seen him be all season long. So that surprised me a little bit. I thought Washington would have a little bit more offensive success, but um, for the most part, I think that it, you know, that it's not too crazy from what we, you know, expected going in. Dan Lanning was in the building uh, last night. Uh, got a lot of reaction. What'd you make of the coach making himself available and serving as an analyst for his rival on the biggest stage against his soon to be conference foe in Michigan uh, and, and he gets a little bit of a, a national bump here on on, uh, on television. What'd you make of that? You know, he's he's just really good at kind of inserting himself into the picture at all times, isn't he? I mean, he he seems like someone who really knows how to play this game. And he's this past year, we've seen him just kind of become more of a national figure. Um, you know, with the whole Colorado stuff, inviting the the um, cameras into the locker room pregame and kind of everything that's built out from that, too. And, I mean, I, I have no problem with this. We've seen Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, two of his former, um, you know, head coaches. They've done this. They've been on the the championship shows and analysts and stuff like that. So um, I, I think he took a page out of their book. I think it's really good for publicity for him. It's good for recruiting for these high school recruits to see him and just kind of, you know, see his presence a bit more. So I like it. I was a big fan of it. Yeah, he's good, too, like you're saying. Like <laughs> I don't want to uh, start any conversations here, but in my, in the back of my mind, I'm almost thinking Dan Lanning's next steps post-Oregon may, may need to worry less and less about another D1 coaching job or an NFL job and thinking about TV. We were talking about this with Sean McVay coming out of last season, Zach, Zachary. I think, uh, you know, I, you can't give any too much credence to it right now, but being a TV, being an analyst as a young guy that recently coached, that could be an actual option for some of these guys, not not just talking about landing. Yes, I think that absolutely could be in his future. He seemed comfortable. He seemed really good at it. We know he's a very smart football mind. I think Oregon fans are just hoping that that's something he decides when he's, you know, maybe 55 instead of, you know, 43, 45, something like that. Maybe a little closer to Corso's age than uh, yes. than his current age. Uh, talking to Zachary Neal. 
right, let's talk a little ducks here, Zachary. One of the things we were talking about uh, today was that physicality on display last night with Michigan having the advantage over Washington and uh, some of the conversation of, well, Washington just got a little too one-dimensional. Obviously, the Dylan Johnson injury doesn't help, but is there a style of football conversation to be had a la what we had out of the 2014 title game uh, against Ohio State or the uh, the the 09 Rose Bowl uh, with Terrell Pryor in Ohio State. And I know Oregon's a much more physical team and physical brand than they were in those iterations of a decade or plus past. But do they have that physicality that they need to go into Big Ten country and, and play some of these road games? Or do you think there's a conversation to be had there um, with whether it's a style or at least element to the run game that Oregon needs to commit to with a little bit more fervor uh, going into the Big Ten migration? Or do you think that they kind of like what they have and they're going to try to to leverage that against the Big Ten defenses they'll face? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's physical in the Pac-12, which Oregon was, and then there's physical in the Big Ten, which is what we saw last night with Michigan. And, you know, I saw a lot of Oregon fans on social media saying, oh, this Oregon team could have beaten Michigan last night. Michigan's not that great. And it's like, well, I, uh, I don't know. I that's a very physical team, and I we've seen Oregon sometimes not show up on the biggest stages. So um, that would have been an interesting game to see between Oregon and Michigan last night. But you know, that's that type of physicality is different. And while Oregon has been building towards that, we've seen the roster management that Dan Lenning has done over the past couple of years, really beefing up the trenches, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know if they're quite to that level yet. That's something that comes after three, four, five recruiting classes of building these dominant high-end four-star, five-star defensive linemen. And we're seeing that built towards that. We've seen them over the past several years get more of those guys to kind of stack those recruiting classes. So I think they can get there. I don't personally think they're there yet. But, um, you know, that's that when you have one thing that, you know, Oregon does have that Michigan doesn't have, they've got that Pac-12 offense. They've got the West Coast offense that can put up 40, 50 on anyone who they play. So um, I think if you can kind of mix both of those things and get the West Coast flair and the Big Ten, you've got some really cooking. Yeah, I forgot about this, but I was watching some uh, UTSA football when Will Stein got hired and was like, yeah, what kind of, what are we going to see here, you know? I, uh, last off season, when you know, thinking how, yep. how it might look different than than Dilly Dilly, and and what will this Stein guy do? And uh, it just hit me. His quarterback there, Frank Harris, you know, experienced guy, left-handed QB. And I was thinking about Dylan Gabriel, an experienced guy, left-handed QB. Maybe there's no, you know, Stein knows what to do with this. Uh, what are your early impressions of Dylan Gabriel coming to Oregon? and what it might look like, the similarities to the Bo Nix offense, any, any departures, or at least um, do the edges look a little bit different in the in the Dylan Gabriel picture entering 2024? Yeah, it's almost like they planned for that, knowing that, you know, this, this offensive coordinator knows how to work with a left-handed quarterback yeah. and a mobile one. You know, with Dylan Gabriel, I'm, I am excited for the potential he brings, but I'm very curious to see it. I know that a lot of Oregon fans see, you know, the upside he brings and say, oh, this is just a perfect fit to replace Bo Nix. You know, the offense is not going to miss a beat. I'm not saying it's going to miss a beat. I'm just saying I want to see it. Replacing Bo Nix, you know, a Heisman caliber quarterback, the most experienced quarterback in the history of college football, that's no easy feat. And so while I think that Dylan Gabriel can have an absolutely great 
career at Oregon or one season career at Oregon and be a Heisman contender. You know, I just want to see it before I'm writing off national championship in 2024 or 2025 for Oregon. Uh, but I, I like the upside he brings. He's got a really good arm. He's more of a, a gamer-style quarterback. He seems like kind of like that Vernon Adams type that's just kind of – it's kind of like the Bo Nix that he was in Auburn where he's just kind of making plays and making things happen, which sometimes can bite you. But um, I think he brings a lot of upside to the table. I'm very excited to see what he can do. I can't wait for that spring game. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting. The transfer portal, you know, chaos is uh, unrelenting. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, for those that are kind of like casually looking at it and trying to remember, all right, who, who's here, who's gone? Um, and let's talk skill positions like running back and wide receiver. You know, who's in, who's gone? Who, who do the Ducks have as of now at, at those positions? Uh, and obviously they're replacing some key guys like Bucky and, and Troy Franklin. So they brought in Jay Harris, who is a, a former D2 kid who, you know, nobody knew, even myself, who's someone who I, I like to say that I know college football. I had no idea who this kid was before from Northwest Missouri State. Um, from people I've talked to, this kid is the real deal. He's just very, very incredible. He's going to be a big part of the offense going forward. I know they're still looking at some wide receivers in the transfer portal. Um, they got huge announcements from both Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden announcing that they'd come back. They've got a very deep receiver room. So while they don't necessarily need a wide receiver in the transfer portal, they're probably going to add one just to get some depth there. Um, and then we can talk about the defensive side of the ball too as well. They've got some guys on that side that I think are going to be huge difference makers. Yeah, let, let's do it. What catches your eye on that side? Because I'll be honest, like, you know, I'd say Oregon's defense, good, not great. Um, but look, that Washington offense that they lost to twice is obviously one of the more prolific offenses in the country this year. So so what catches your eye defensively for Oregon right now? Two guys in particular. So one of the biggest, you know, flaws with Oregon's defense this past year, the past two years really, was in the secondary. Um, we saw the cornerback position be pretty good, but the Ducks are also losing Kyrie Jackson, their top cornerback to the NFL. They replaced him yesterday with a guy named Cam Alexander from UTSA. Uh, six-year senior, he's coming in. He was the MVP of UTSA's bowl game. Very, very talented cornerback. They've um, got really, really high upside. They're excited for him. They also got uh, safety Kobe Savage from Kansas State, another veteran player with one year of eligibility left. Uh, really high upside guy, um, former JUCO player, a lot of tackles at Kansas State, several interceptions. I know that they're very excited about both of those guys, and they're going to kind of beef up that secondary both will probably be starters right away, or at least contend for those starting spots. Uh, but, you know, that's where they kind of needed to improve this offseason, and I think they've done a good job of that so far. As a Seahawks fan, I, I hear a corner from UTSA, and uh, I think uh, Requel, and, you know, like, hey, you know, he's yeah. long and just so fast. I have no idea if that's the template of uh, this new duck, but uh, eager, eager to see that uh, as he follows uh, Stein on the other side of the ball. Uh, back to Eugene. And then let's cast our eye to the schedule, uh, Zachary. I know it's going to look and feel a lot different. Who knows? There may be another domino or two to fall on that with that Hawaii game looming. But what catches your eye early as we start to think about uh, the first foray into the Big Ten in 2024? It's going to be interesting because we've seen the past years in the Big Ten. I mean, you look at Ohio State's schedule, Michigan's schedule, they kind of play, a, you know, all due respect, a two-game or three-game schedule. They they get up for those games against each other, against Penn State, 
but the other, you know, the depth of the Big Ten is not there like it was in the Pac-12. And, you know, the Pac-12 didn't have the, the talent up top, but you had to worry about your games against Arizona or Arizona State or Washington State. And so while Oregon needs to be focused on, you know, that game against Ohio State next year's huge at home. They've got Wisconsin on the road. They've got Michigan on the road. You know, I don't know that you're going to have to worry too much about, um, you know, I, I don't have the schedule in front of me or off the top of my head, but your games like against Purdue or against Rutgers, against Northwestern, places like that. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be top-heavy, I believe, but in a sense I think it might provide a little bit less stress just because you don't have those track games that you kind of are afraid of every year like you are in the Pac-12. Zachary Neal, Ducks Wire, USA Today. Um, you keeping a side eye on Duck basketball as well? Absolutely. Just before uh, you called me, I was at Ducks practice watching Dane Altman and that team go. So they've been a lot of fun so far. They're, they've provided a lot of storylines. Anytime you sweep the Washington trip, that's going to get my attention. And, uh, you know, they yeah. were underdogs in both games, won those outright. So are we, you know, dare I say, are, are we talking about a team that's going to be relevant deep February into March? I think we really will. You know, we've got the, the mountain road trip coming up. They're going to go play Colorado and Utah a week from now. But today, I mean, I can report and Folly Dante was practicing today in full. We talked to Dane Allman after the game or after the practice, and he said, you know, tomorrow's going to be the big day because it's their off day. They're going to see how he responds to actually, you know, playing five-on-five five today and getting out and running. So there's a chance he plays on Saturday, makes his return. He played the first game of the year, has not played since. That was in mid to late November, if I remember correctly. So he could get back on the court on Saturday for a few minutes against Cal. Then he could be, you know, potentially full go next week for that mountain road trip. And this team is really good without him, and he is an all-conference player. So I can't wait to see what they're able to do with those shooters around a big guy like in Poly Dante. And, and what's the latest on Biddle and, and adjacent to that? What are, what are your early impressions of how Mookie Cook has, has looked? Biddle is not cleared yet. He was at practice today. He's still got a wrap on his wrist, but he was in, you know, in basketball clothes and I think shooting around a little bit with his offhand. But um, we'll see. I don't think his return is as close as Dante's, obviously. But they could get him back before March, absolutely. Uh, Mookie Cook, you know, we we haven't seen a ton. We've seen him on minutes restrictions in those couple of games. I like what I've seen so far. He brings some energy off the bench. He's really gave them a spark in that Washington game. He came in and had, I think, two dunks in his first four minutes as a duck. So that's always fun for fans to see. Um, you know, with the same goes for all of these three freshmen. They're, they're spark plugs. They're really fun to watch. Um, they seem to like Oregon a lot. I think they could be a couple of, or a few guys that we see for at least a couple of years in Eugene. Zachary Neal, he's on Twitter at Zachary C. Neal, uh, covers the Ducks for USA Today's Ducks Wire and the uh, Sco Ing Long podcast. Appreciate your time, Zachary. Always good to catch up, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You know, when Ducks basketball is good, it just gets me uh, gets me excited a little bit because college hoops is one of those things where, you know, if you have a good program and you're playing deep into February, like conference tournaments and, and obviously the NCAA tournament, there's enough Oregon Duck basketball history in there to start like, oh, man, you think about 2017 and you think about some of those runs in 16 as well. And obviously, if you're a Beaver fan, you think of that ridiculous miracle 2021 run um, and, and, you know, everything's starting to thaw out weather-wise and, 
you start to hear the CBS theme song in the back of your head when you get up in the morning and you're like, oh man, college hoops. There's something to look forward to after the Super Bowl. Thank good the good Lord we can be excited for college basketball. So the fact that the Ducks have big upside, Steven, and hopefully getting healthier, that makes me excited a little bit. Yeah, no, they're they're a pretty good little team. And, you know, like the guest said, like you said, that's you know, they're not even fully healthy yet. So, you know, two of their better players are still, you know, out, but they're practicing. They can only be good. And uh Jackson Shellstad, you know, Westland alum, he's been awesome Baller, since, man. since he started playing after his injury at the start of the year. Uh he's really, you know, solidified just, you know, a really good solid point guard out there. So I think this team is an NCAA tournament team. I think they may have a chance to win the Pac twelve. I think they're that good of potential wise. And you're right. When it, when you have start playing important games in the conference tournament, you know, into the NCAA tournament, man, it, there's nothing much more much more fun than that. And for me, like, you know, that's my favorite event of the year, the NCAA tournament. So anytime you get an Oregon team in there, uh, it just makes it so much more fun. In 2021, was you know they were a seven seed, I believe, and that was obviously a COVID impacted tournament. They advanced because uh, the other team couldn't play. VC- VCU. VCU VCU got COVID, couldn't play. Ran Iowa off the floor. Ran them off. That was a lot of fun. That was a Garza team, right? That was yeah, Luca Garza. And uh, and then USC was just better. But that that was the Sweet Sixteen game and the Mobleys and all that. Yeah, and they were just better. They they really controlled that game. And then last year was just tough to watch, you know, for a, a variety of reasons. But man, you think about these teams. You know, nineteen, they won two. They were a twelve seed, I want to say, in nineteen, and they took Virginia to. That was a dogfight with Virginia. Well, Alden's a great in the coach. Sweet 16. Like, there's no doubt about Dan Alden Every knows year. what he's doing. Yeah. He knows what he's doing, and his teams usually play better as they get to March. So the fact that they're playing so well now and they're not even fully healthy, like that gives me a lot of uh, positivity coming out of Eugene that he's going to even get them ramped up even more uh, going into the conference tournament because that's when they start playing really well. We'll see how it goes, but uh, glad to know the trajectory is moving up for those guys. Uh, we'll wrap things up when we return. We'll hear a little bit more from John Cazzano's audio from Hour 1. And you can call in at 503-417-7575. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for Cazzano right here on the Bold Face Truth.